Hello, I'm Dr. Annalene Weston, dental legal consultant at Dental Protection based in Brisbane. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts produced exclusively for members of Dental Protection. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice on guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. Now, in this edition, which is the second part of our open disclosure series, we're going to have a look at the role of the apology in the process of open disclosure. And in order to do so, I'm going to hand over to my colleague, Dr. Mike Rutherford. Mike, please tell us how an apology fits into this process. Great. Thanks for asking, Annalyn. And welcome back, colleagues. So in a previous podcast on open disclosure, we discussed the differing elements of what is required in the process. In short, an openness and timeliness in disclosing to your patient an adverse outcome has occurred. Part of the requirement of open disclosure, as outlined by the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare, is that an expression of regret for any harm that has resulted is made as early as possible. Similarly, the Dental Board of Australia's Code of Conduct charges us with the responsibility of providing an apology along with an explanation of what has happened if appropriate. Now, previously I used the analogy that very few people learn how to run. However, the variety of differing running styles would suggest that some styles are more efficient and effective than others. And similarly, some approaches to apologizing are far more effective than others. Now, part of the problem is that when we should be offering an apology to our patient, we're often at our most vulnerable Something has happened and the outcome is not we or our patients were expecting. Our patient may be anxious, upset or angry, and we may be upset, anxious and angry as well. So it's natural in these circumstances to fall back on inherent fight or fight responses. And so what we would mean as an apology could well turn out to sound quite defensive and evasive in nature. Therefore, a little understanding of the elements of an apology and what is meant to achieve can be helpful. So why should we apologise when something goes wrong, apart from our professional obligations to do so? Well, Leap in 2012 in his Apology for Errors stated that patients expect an apology from their doctors after having been harmed by an error. Apologies convey a sense of respect, mutual suffering and responsibility. And the important element of this statement is the mutual suffering. Now, we as practitioners never suffer the outcome, the pain or the anxiety about treatment that our patients do. But if we can demonstrate an empathy and an understanding of how they may feel, it certainly goes a long way to helping the situation. It can decrease anger and blame and positively impact on trust. And trust is an important aspect of this. If your patient has trust in you, in your openness, in acknowledging that something's gone wrong, they're more likely to trust that you can either remediate the problem yourself or provide a suitable pathway to specialist referral or referral elsewhere to get them the best possible outcome. If this trust is lost, and your patient goes elsewhere, you as the practitioner are more vulnerable to complaints or concerns about the treatment you've provided. Now, 
When the psychologist discussed this in The Power of Apology by Beverly Engel, she states that apology is crucial to our mental and even physical health. Research shows that receiving an apology has a noticeable positive physical effect on the body. An apology actually affects the bodily functions of the person receiving it. Blood pressure decreases, heart rate slows, and breathing becomes steadier. In short, people calm down and they're then psychologically in a better position to listen and understand and process what you say afterwards. So if there's so many reasons why we should apologise, why don't we? Well, first off, there's that fight or flight mechanism that we spoke about. And this can cause us to be defensive or to try and downplay what's happened or even to decide it was not really a problem at all. It can be a fear of our patient's reaction, abuse, anger, demands for an explanation. There can be fear of ridicule or fear that our colleagues or APRA will hear about this. Hubris can play a part, particularly if our self-image is tied up with a concept of ourselves as caring and very competent practitioners. This can undermine our self-esteem. And sometimes there are cultural imperatives or the way we were brought up that tell us not to apologise. But if we do do it, what should it look and feel like? Well, first off, what it looks and feels like to our patient is far more important than what it looks like to us. An apology must feel genuine, sincere and heartfelt. It must refer to the specific incident or occurrence and it must acknowledge your patient's circumstances. It should be delivered in the first person and use the word sorry rather than I apologise. I'm so sorry, Mrs Smith, that, and then continue with the story. It's also important that the practitioner who provided the treatment and not the practice manager or anyone else in the practice delivers the apology. Now, Professor Aaron Lazar, in his book on apology, 2005, lists four key components of an effective apology. There's the acknowledgement, the acknowledgement that something happened. There is remorse, that empathy that your patient is in the position that they are in. There's an explanation of what actually happened. And then there's reparation, and reparation can go from anything from remediation by yourself to remediation by referral uh, to any other sort of monetary compensation. Now, an apology should include, as part of the explanation, an assurance that the circumstances will be investigated so that the standards of the profession will be maintained. And this is important, like it doesn't help the person themselves but there's plenty of research that would suggest that making sure there's less chance of a recurrence and other people are harmed is important to people. And in the explanation, it should be an explanation and not just a justification of what occurred. It should be to the patient's level of satisfaction and also their understanding. We should use layman's terms and you should offer your patient an opportunity to ask questions and also to provide you assurance that they understand what you've said. What it shouldn't look like is corporate in nature. We at Acme Dental pride ourselves on providing exceptional dental care for our clients. We apologise if your recent experience with us did not meet your explanations. 
that is not an apology. What it shouldn't look like is written in the third person. Acme Dental would like to convey their apologies to you. It must be in the first person and personal in nature. It shouldn't be vague or imprecise about what happened. The incident that occurred last Thursday, be specific. And don't use technical or quasi-legal language. Use simple layman's language for both the description of what happened as well as the description of the likely outcome. The long-term prognosis may be guarded. is pretty well meaningless as a sentence to anyone but a fellow health professional. After an adverse outcome, patients want a meaningful apology along with an honest and open explanation. When this is not forthcoming, the profession is at a greater risk of the patient feeling aggrieved and taking the matter further. But sometimes, as health professionals, we're concerned about the implications of making an apology. I'll give you an example. Charlotte, I'm so sorry to hear that you ended up in hospital with an allergic reaction after your dental appointment with me. I can understand that would have been very frightening for you and your family. Now, this is an appropriate apology. Sometimes practitioners are concerned that this may be an indication of fault or liability. Now, fortunately, in the Australian scenario, each state in Australia has legislation that protects the practitioner or anyone from the use of an apology or an expression of regret being used in court as an admission of fault or liability. So that can be reassuring. Now, just to summarise what we've spoken about, in the event of an adverse outcome, do not be afraid to apologise. It's what patients want to hear. There's evidence that supports the protective benefits of an apology. And if you're going to do it, do it well. Own the apology. I am sorry. It's my treatment. Use the word sorry and make it unconditional and meaningful. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks, Mike. That's so helpful. I have got a couple of questions I'd like to ask you, though, and these are the questions that our members commonly ask us surrounding apologies. So first of all, what if there's a practice policy for the practice manager to deal with all complaints? Why shouldn't I just leave them to it? They have the experience and training. Yeah, it's it's very tempting, isn't it? And, and particularly for um, younger practitioners or newer practitioners, where you go into say, a big clinic that has a set protocols and there's somebody who is more experienced and more used to dealing with these things that tells you that it's their job to uh, to reply to patients. And they can even demand that you don't personally do it. Now, it's tempting because it's always going to feel awkward making that phone call and discussing it with, with your patient. Um Look, in the first instance, always ring dental protection and we can give you advice along these lines. But in generality, my advice is you're always better to handle the situation yourself. Um, firstly, the regulators charge us with that responsibility of providing uh, an apology and explanation because it's our treatment. But secondly, you know, it's like when uh, perhaps the plumber hasn't done as good a job in your kitchen as you'd like 
and you ring up to complain and the receptionist wants to deal with it. You know, the receptionist wasn't there. The receptionist won't understand the ins and outs of what actually occurred on the day. And, and similarly, a patient wants to hear the words from you. They want to hear the, the apology from you, but they also want you to be able to react and respond to what they've got to say about the treatment you provided. So, uh, look, certainly, yeah, I think the, the, the advice is uh, to own it and, and, and do it yourself. Absolutely. And it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes the easiest path isn't necessarily the best one. And I know that there are many times when we've all sat with practitioners on the phone, so they can kind of practice apologizing and practice what they want to say. It can be really helpful sometimes to have a go at it in a safe environment before you actually go to speak to the patient, I find. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, and it, it's great to be able to do that, just to, to workshop it, because it is difficult. Um, after When you get old and you've had a few more mistakes, well, yeah, it gets a little <laughs> bit easier. Um, but but it, it's always a scary process. But I think you'd agree we also hear back from some of our members that patients are actually, there's a certain amount of respect when the practitioner makes the call. Um, and sometimes there's a fair bit of gratitude that they've actually had the guts, if you like, to face up to it and make the call. Absolutely. And relief on the part of the practitioner too. Mm-hmm. I just had one last question for you and you've already addressed this, but I really just want to tease this issue out because it's one that causes such a large amount of concern. And the question, Mike, is, is there any chance that if I give an apology, it's going to encourage a patient to think that I'm admitting I did something wrong? Yeah, look, um, as as you know, this is a common concern with practitioners who phone us. Um, that it will be misinterpreted, even if we assure them that the legislation is there to protect them legally, um, there can be this feeling that the patient's going to take it the wrong way and think that I am admitting that I've done something wrong. Look, you can't rule it out. Um, certainly, occasionally, there are going to people who are going to go, aha, you've admitted it, you, you have done something wrong. But look, I think our experience is the vast majority of people accept it for what it is and it is not common for them to use it mischievously or, or, or otherwise uh, to believe that it is an admission of fault. I'd agree with that, Mike. Thank you. And just thank you so much for that helpful and relevant content. And I'd like to thank you all for listening. We do hope that this podcast has been helpful to you and we look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Goodbye.